Welcome to Mother's Day at City Church 2022. They are going to be getting um, some things situated here. So um, thank you again for being here with us, and happy Mother's Day. And um, it's I will be preaching today, which is... <laughs> which is different than usually my, my husband preaches. Let me tell you what's good about his preaching. He's really, really talented and really good at going like through the line by line. So we will be finishing up a, a, a series on prophecy in the next couple weeks, and then we'll be jumping into 2 Corinthians. And if you want to dig in and know the Word of God deeply and know it well, come join us for 2 Corinthians. Um, but for today, he gave me the microphone, and I like to talk. So, so I hope you guys got enough donuts out there and uh, got filled up for just a little while. All right, so am I good to go ahead and begin, or should I wait? Okay, I'm just going to keep talking. Jim's like, you're gifted. So I, I got up here. Let me tell you something funny. I got up here, and there's this piece of paper on this table. Everything got set for, for me, and it's my husband's handwriting, and I did this to him back there, and I was like, what is it? He's like, I don't know. So here's what it says. Proverbs 11:22, like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. And I was like, is this, is this for me? Like, is this a silent message before I preach? <laughs> so he said it was his notes that he was writing from last week. Um, yeah, so that's not for me, but that was, that was really funny. I was like, well, I don't know what he's trying to say. But I have the microphone, so I get to say something. All right, so we are going to be looking at Psalm at the book of Psalms as, as a whole, and then Psalm 113 today. Let me just go ahead and give a little bit of credit to people who have helped. Thank you, Andreza, after a full, beautiful week of her oldest graduating high school and having a house full of family and friends. Um, she did a big weekend, and then she also has coordinated the special thing that's back in the back. And um, there is a photo booth in the lobby if you want to take pictures before, or, or not before church, because church already started, but after church, before you leave. Um, and then um, I mentioned uh, we had a hand of help in uh, from our elder's wife, Crystal, and um, I know Brenda's been praying over this. This is one of our elder's wives, and we had a team of ladies that helped set up, and um, actually Crystal sent me some information regarding sunflowers that I forgot to say. So the theme today is kind of sunflowers, and the thing that's amazing about sunflowers is they, they follow the sun, so, like, through the day, you know, they're, they're following the sun. And in the language of flowers, they mean adoration, loyalty, and faithfulness. So, as we adore and praise God, let us be reminded of his faithfulness. So, that's the point of your bracelet today is to be a reminder um, to follow the Lord and to adore and to praise him. So, we're going to begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Like I said, Jim teaches line by line, so he already taught on 1 Corinthians. You can go online and go back and watch those sermon series, and so we are going to be um, just taking a quick look, just kind of like catalyst off of this this morning. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So this word, okay, I discovered that you can also highlight digitally. So I like went crazy with the highlighter, and it's more or less like my cue to remember like what to say, but I love the highlighter. So the natural person, the words here refer to the mind and emotions of a person. So we know that um, a person is made of body, 
we, we have a soul, we have a mind and emotions, and we have a spirit, we are a spirit. So the body um, would be referred to as like the carnal man, the soul or the mind and emotions would be the natural man, and then the spirit would be the spiritual man. So whichever someone leads with, that's what you, that's what you kind of know them as. You know, um, you can identify if someone really um, puts an emphasis on the, physique and nutrition and working out, um, or if they're very spiritual, or um, if they're kind of caught up in their emotions or whatever. So we know that uh, that is how we are created. So I tell my kids, you need to train your body, train your mind, train your spirit. I'm very passionate about this because I believe that all of those parts of a person need to be healthy. In fact, if I could open a university here in Savannah, like if someone wants to fund this, this is what I would do. Um, I would take what I'm about to tell you this morning, and I would teach it over a whole year. So that kind of gives you an idea of like, there's a lot of information about to come your way this morning. If you like to take notes, go ahead and do that. You might get a hand cramp. Um, these notes will also be available. Um, and Kayla is awesome at knowing where they're available at. I don't really know, so we'll find out on YouTube. Nope on YouTube, Facebook, and Medium, so that's awesome. So um, anyway, but what I would do if I could open a university is it would be a university to train your body, train your mind, train your spirit. So it would be located on the beach, and it would be, um, we would do workout classes, and we would all get our, our daily dose of vitamin D, and we go on like a midday run. That's one of my favorite things to do is like in the heat of the day, get out and go for a run. Now, that wouldn't be mandatory because not everybody likes to do that. It's something I like to do. Um, I would, we would train our mind and kind of do like the, the mental weightlifting with some really good education. Math would be an elective because I don't care for math, but if Professor Lindborg wanted to come and work at the university, we would have an awesome math program. That's Jed, if you don't know him. Uh, and then to train our spirit, we would just learn the names of God and just practice praying. And so we'd run and pray, or we would lunge and learn, and those would be the types of classes that we would have at my university, the Triad University. So if you feel so inclined to fund that, let's go ahead and get that started. Um, because you want to avoid muscle atrophy. This is most easily seen in the body. Like if you're someone who has been lying in bed or who's unable to use a muscle, um, then it atrophies. The same can be true for your mind. It can atrophy. The same can be true for your spirit. Like if you don't discern in your spirit and know what the Word of God says, then that is an atrophy that is in your life. And uh, we'll be talking more about that. So the premise for this morning, we're finally getting to it, is Psalm 113.3. And this is what's really cool is Michael talked about it um, as an exhortation during worship, Psalm 113. This is where we're going to be coming from this morning. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. So we're going to begin with a bird's eye view of Psalms. And this is, this is my go-to way of like looking or learning or seeing things. It's like this kind of like bird's eye conceptual view. So um, Psalms is a book of 150 ancient Hebrew songs, poems, and prayers. Is there anybody here who just like you really enjoy poetry? Like you just really love to read a book. Read Psalms. It's a collection of these ancient songs, poems, and prayers. It's beautiful. 
Um, it's written for the Israelites, and it spans about a thousand years of history. And when I say it's written for the Israelites, it's what they used a lot of times, like in their songs, they would memorize and recite and um, in their hymns. So the authors are David. He's attributed to having written half of them. Um, Solomon, Asaph, the sons of Korah, Moses, and there are also anonymous writers in the book of Psalms. So that's the, again, we're kind of taking a bird's eye view before we dive in. Psalms is divided into five parts. So what you have here is like part one is chapters 1 through 41. Part two would be chapters 42 through 72. And on down the list you can look. So it's it's such a big book that it's then divided into smaller books that are five parts. Um, and there are two main themes in the book of Psalms. One theme is lament and the other is praise. So to lament, according to Merriam-Webster, is to mourn aloud and to wail. And if you have ever had a time in your life where this was what you were doing, you need to read the book of Psalms. It puts into words the, the agony, the pain. In Psalms, the lament is a cry for God to act. It's a cry of pain, confusion, and or anger. And all of these, these emotions are part of being a human and they are fine and it's like how, what do you do with these emotions like where do you put them um i naturally am an optimist so i don't like the feelings of pain and confusion and anger so i like to refer to psalms to kind of go hey i identify with that like my bones are aching within me like yes that sounds like you know my soul so um a, uh, it is a form of prayer and praise. Lament can be a form of prayer and praise, as we see in Psalm. Um, so an example would be, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Have you ever just had a moment in your life where you're like, why is this happening? You maybe won't even be able to like pinpoint like what exactly is happening, but why in the world? Like where is God? Why do I feel so far from God, from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry day by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Insomnia is a major problem in America today and in our world, really. I mean, over three million new cases, like yearly, I think is what I read. I was trying to read and kind of understand this. So insomnia is the inability to fall asleep or to stay asleep. And a lot of it has to do with like your physical habits before bed. Um, again, your, your body, your soul, your mind, your, your spirit, it's all connected. Um, but this is really, really common. Maybe you identify with this, but here's the praise. Yet you are holy. So they're, they're crying out and pouring their heart and emotion before God, but they land on yet you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel. So lament is mostly the theme of parts one through three of Psalms. So Psalms has, has this theme of lament, but there is the exception is the opening uh, chapters one and two. Psalms opens with blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. I put this in parentheses and highlight Jehovah because that's a name of God that we're going to get to later, and that's what's referred to as this name Lord here. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and his, on his law he meditates day and night. So training your mind, part of doing that is asking yourself, what am I thinking on? What am I meditating on. To meditate is just to like kind of 
mentally chew something up. Just think on that. So, um, and on his law, he meditates day and night. Train your mind with the word of God. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in season. Look at these descriptions of a person who meditates on the law of the Lord. He is planted by the streams of water. His roots go down deep, so deep, in fact, that they reach towards the water of the stream that's underneath, and they get nourished because it is near the stream of water. So putting roots down deep. Um, and then yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The Lord is able to prosper you despite your circumstances, despite the situations that you find yourself in. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But the person who is planted by the streams of living water, he prospers regardless of what the atmosphere is around. So, Praise, I told you there's two themes, lament and praise. Praise is mostly the theme of parts four and five or books four and five in Psalms. So it goes from lament and cries of anger and confusion to this praise. And then this is the part that I like because it it speaks to me with the optimism. Um, Psalm 113 is found in book five, just for your reference of of your knowledge. Um, In fact, chapters 113 through 118 is known as the Hallel. And Hallel is a is a word that means praise, and you might recognize that from one of the praise words that we've been reviewing and doing in worship that Michael's been bringing to us. Um, It affirms that God hears the cries of his people. So not only are they crying out in lament, the praise is that, hey, I have a God who hears me and hears the cries of his people. Um, Chapters 120 through 136 are called the Songs of Ascent, which proclaim the future kingdom of God. So these chapters in Psalms, they, they are, they were known by the people to be these songs of ascent. It's like the the picture of like going up a mountain because we're going to the future kingdom of God. So as you're reading through Psalms, that'll give you a little bit of context, but we're going to go back to Psalm 113. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. I highlighted this first part because what my dad taught me when I was little is when you want to memorize the word of God, start with just a little bit, a little word, a little phrase in the verse, and you you kind of go over that. You meditate on that until you've got that. So from the rising of the sun to its setting, where does the sun begin to rise? Like if you're going to define this and you're going to go, okay, here's my starting point, where does the sun begin to rise? Well, we know from us, like we know where it rises, but that's not the same perspective as like the people on the other side of the world. So where does the sun set? Like, is there a finish line that it crosses every night? Um, when does this happen? And so uh, I wanted, honey, can you come help me real quick with my illustration? I didn't give you a heads up on that, but I have lots of things in my hand. So, okay. So what I have is a really um, disgusting ball that my dog chewed on. And that's the best that I found because I forgot those were the only. Okay, so if this is planet Earth, this is my homeschool mom description that um, from elementary years. Okay, so if this is the sun, and the Earth is, and the the ball is the Earth, then yes, the sun is on this side of the Earth. But what about the other side? Like we have a limited perspective because as the sun and the Earth change in relation to each other. Sorry, I didn't mean to blind you guys. Um, then it's like, well, how do you how do you define that? Thank you, honey such a handsome helper. Um, how, do you, how do you pin that down? How do you define that? So we are limited in this physical and carnal world. 
with our physical boundaries, with our physical understanding. So as I said in, at the beginning when I started, like, I, I invite you to lean in and try to spiritually discern the names of God as we get into them this morning because you can take it in your mind. You can memorize it. I've been doing that. I've been learning and understanding, but I, wanna, I want us to understand in our heart because we are limited in this world, but there's an unseen realm that is not limited. So let's talk about Zoom. If you don't know what Zoom is, you have not been on planet Earth for the last two years, right? Like, if you have not been in a Zoom meeting, raise your hand. Zoom is the video. Um, yeah, that's what I thought. Okay, pretty much everybody has been in a Zoom meeting or a FaceTime, whatever. So you understand this concept. This is the best way that I can explain to you. I heard it explained this way, so I'm going to borrow this illustration. So Zoom or the video uh, application that allows you, so we're just going to refer to it as Zoom, it allows you to see and be somewhere else technically without physically being there. So you can log on, you can get to that boardroom or that meeting or the grandparents' house or the grandkids' house, and you can see what is there and be there without physically moving or being transported. So I want you to keep that idea in your mind as we read from uh, Revelation 4 eight, because this is John in Revelation, John the Revelator. He writes, and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. It already gets really weird when you just start beginning to read this. But you got to remember, this is not the carnal world. This is the spiritual world, okay? So this is something that is hard to comprehend for us. And it also kind of sounds like a Pokemon, if you're into Pokemon. Okay. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are, uh, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. So this is something that is happening in the heavenly realm. And John, like, spiritually gets zoomed in to what is happening, not in the carnal world, but in the spiritual world. And he sees this happening. And this chapter is amazing. Like, you got it, the whole book, you got to read Revelation. Um, but it says day and night. And I thought, what would the story be told about you if someone narrated what you did day and night? Like, like, are you sitting there praising God day and night? Um, and then this holy, 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 when something is repeated three times, there's like an extra emphasis. So in, in the English language, we would put an exclamation point, and it would kind of be like, holy, like someone's shouting it. But when they wrote, it was like they would repeat it three times. So John is saying they're like shouting, holy is the Lord, God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. That's highlighted because we're going to get to that concept in just a little bit. More amazing than what they look like is what they are saying. Holy means set apart. So there is this God in heaven who is set apart and who is otherworldly than what we know and what we can comprehend in the carnal world. So you have to spiritually discern what who he is and what is uh, what is happening in his word to know who he is. God is limitless and we are limited. So with that foundation in mind, we establish like from the rising of the sun to its setting, that's hard for us to comprehend. Uh, well, it's easy to, to understand physical boundaries, but um, we kind of got that part. So let's look at the name of the Lord is to be praised. So a few months ago, as I was kind of thinking about like the names of God, it took me a while to 
become familiar with and know and learn the names of God. And I still could plan to continue even after this day, but I want to go into the names of God. So a title versus a name. A name is an identifier and carries authority. So I want to tell you real quick about our house loan. This is um, kind of an illustration for a name. So um, I'll get into more of this personal story in a little bit, but long story short, in a really crazy time of our life, we, um, it wasn't crazy when we decided to, to move. So as the housing market really kind of boomed um, last year, uh, at the beginning of last year, we were like, what if we could move? And we had this like vision of like where we wanted to move and what we wanted to do. And so it was this big what if. So we kind of laid out like, if this happens, then that can happen. So, okay, item number one happened. Okay, so we can sell our house. Okay, item number two happened. We found a house. Item number three happened. So in the process, the house that we wanted to buy was in probate because the seller had passed away. So we needed to, to work on all that. So we had all of our ducks in a row with our bank. We were pre-approved. We were waiting on the sellers. The sellers don't live here in Savannah. So it was a bunch of kind of back and forth. And um, awesome realtor was helping us. And um, so then weeks went by. We started the process in May. Weeks went by. Um, crazy happened. I'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, more crazy happened. Sadness happened. Lots of craziness. And then they were ready to sell, and Jim gets a phone call that our bank merged with another bank in the process, and somebody canceled our loan, our loan that had been sitting there waiting for the sellers to have their junk in order, you know. So um, he was on the phone with our loan officer, I don't know how many times a day, and in the midst of them merging banks and him being the loan officer, we needed his name on the bottom line so that our loan would go through so that we could finalize and close on the house so that we could move in. So Jim had his name, his number on speed dial, and he was the person that had the authority to move us forward to get our house. Praise the Lord. It all worked. We're in our house. But that was a very stressful time, and, it, and that's just a simple illustration to illustrate like the power of a name, what is needed on the bottom. It gives you access. It gives you authority. So what is the Lord's name? There are a lot of identifiers of his characteristics that I want to go through this morning. So this is where I said, if I could take a year to like break this up into classes, then I would. So there's a lot of information coming at you. So get ready. Okay. So L is a name meaning God. So last week, Jim explained big E Elohim and little E Elohim, Elohim meaning a disembodied spiritual being. So with big E, it refers to God. With little E, it refers to other spiritual beings. And um, you can go back and watch last week's sermon if you want to for that. Um, L plus another identifier gives reference to God's character. So we're going to do the best that we can with adjectives that we have to give reference to who God's character is. So in the Hebrew, um, it would have been El Shaddai, so that's God, the Almighty, the Lord Almighty. This kind of being referenced to um, one who sustains you or nourishes you, this word Shaddai. El Elyon, the Lord Most High, so there's God, El, Elyon is the Most High. El Elom, the everlasting or eternal God, that's what Elom means. El Chul, the God who gave you birth, and El Roy, the God who sees. So we're going to kind of go through these very quickly. 
the Lord Almighty, the all-sufficient one. In the Old Testament, it occurs seven times, and it's first seen in Genesis 17.1. I stuck some of these like little facts in for people who like the facts and the data so that it can just give you a, a picture of how many times and how often this is referred to in um, the Bible. El Elyon is the Lord Most High. It occurs 28 times in the Old Testament and 19 times in Psalms, as in Psalm 57 too. I cry out to God Most High who fulfills his purpose for me. El Elom is the everlasting God, because Elom meaning eternity. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Remember, we took a look into Revelation where in the heavenlies they're singing the God who was and who is and who is to come. El Chul is the God who gave you birth or who created you with purpose. If you are in a place in your life where you're kind of wondering, like, if you even have purpose, I want you to listen up because this is personal for you. Um, out of Psalm 139, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. And this is language and picture of a creator specifically crafting a creation or a project. Um, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in the secret. And I put this in parentheses. God knows you before anyone else does. And I want you to know, let me finish reading this, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. I heard someone say it this way, which was really powerful, is you were God's best kept secret before anybody knew that you even existed. Think about the idea of like intellectual property. There's this idea, and before it is concrete, there's still an idea. So God knew you before you were concretely here and completely in this world. And that's powerful. Like when you know that you matter to God and that he knew you before anyone else did. In your book, where, uh, let's see, let me go back. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I were to count them, they would be more than the sand. Oh, I awake and I am still with you. This is the God who exists with you. El Roy is the God who sees. I don't want to take a long time on this story, but I want you to write this down. If you like to go back and search and read for yourself, look at the story of Hagar in Genesis 16. So if you're familiar with the story of Abram and Sarai, God had promised them, um, God had promised Abram that he would have a son and that his descendants would be like as numerous as the stars, if you're familiar with that. But Sarai was barren and did not, um, was not having kids yet. So some time passed between the promise of God and when this was fulfilled. So I don't understand this part, but Sarah has this idea. She's like, hey, maybe if you sleep with my maidservant, she will get pregnant and then God's promise can be fulfilled through you. Okay, I don't know who thought that was a good idea, um, but let me tell you, the grace of God is enough to cover our really, really dumb ideas because Hagar is the servant who um, Abram sleeps with and she becomes pregnant. And then after Sarah's idea of, hey, why don't, why don't you maybe have a child with her? Then she like gets filled with 
you know, all the feelings that you would feel like, hey, this isn't fair. Like, what have I done? Like regret, shame. And so she kicks her out. Basically, Abram's like, hey, it was your idea. Do with her what you want. So she basically banishes her and Hagar flees to the wilderness. So you see the promise that's on Abram and Sarah's life later to be Abraham and Sarah. And yes, God does fulfill his promise because he is not bound by our carnal time frame and our limited minds. He will do what he says he will do. And we just need to trust that. So later he does fulfill his promise. Well, in the meantime, Hagar flees. She's rejected by the very woman who told her to do what she did. Um, She's in the wilderness, and she feels invisible. And she says in Genesis chapter 16, verse 13, after she has this encounter with the angel of the Lord that comes to her and says he sees her. Um, So she called the name of the Lord. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke with her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. When you feel invisible, there is a God who sees you and who looks after after you. And when you feel like all you're doing is looking at everyone else's lives coming together or promises being fulfilled, don't forget there is a God who sees you and he will do what he says he will do. All right. Adonai is the plural usage for the word Lord and master, and it appears 434 times in the Old Testament. And Adon would be the singular. It refers to a human Lord, lowercase l, used 215 times in, uh, in reference to man. So Adonai, that's, there's a little bit of a breakdown between like the actual pronunciation and then me being English is my first language. And so if you were to go and search, I think that the proper pronunciation is Adonai. I'm going to say Adonai because that's kind of more um, comfortable like in speaking through this. So Adonai was spoken when the letters Y-H-W-H was written in the scripts. Okay, so remember, we're talking about ancient scripts when they would come together and read through these scripts. So in order to not take the name of the Lord in vain, they would write those four letters, but they would say the name Adonai because they did not want to break this commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain for the Lord will not hold guiltless who takes his name in vain. So they were so reverent and so concerned with the respect of the Lord's name that they used the, the tetragrammaton. Tetragrammaton. I think that's the word. That's what this is referred to. So Adonai is the verbal parallel of Yahweh and Jehovah. And what they did is they took the vowel or the consonants plus the vowels from Adonai and they put it together to equal Yahweh, which became known as Yahweh or Jehovah. So you kind of see like the morph of the language into what we're about to get into. So um, Yahweh occurs in the Old Testament 6,519 times. I thought that was a ton of times because I was like, listen, the name of God is important. And as a believer, if you're a believer, you need to know because this name gives you access and authority in your life. And so you need to know who to pray to, and how to use it. Um, It's first used in Genesis 2. So Jehovah means the existing one, and this word comes from hava, which means to be or to exist or to become known. So God makes himself known. So these are all of the the names of God that we're about to get into. And again, the um, 
the name attached to Jehovah gives like a characterization and identification to who God is. So we have Jehovah Ra'a, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Tzidkenu, Jehovah Mekadesh, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shama, and Jehovah Rapha. So let's get into Jehovah Ra'a, the Lord, my shepherd. So shepherds in Israel, um, their job was to, the way that they would care for the sheep is they would go ahead of the sheep on the journey or the path, and they would be sure that the path was clear of like briars and thorns, that, it, that there were no dangerous animals on the road. They would name their sheep and call them by name. Shepherds in Israel, they would also... Uh, at night, they would gather them all and sleep at the opening of the gate between the sheep and between whatever danger could ensue in the middle of the night. A lot of times, if they had a sheep that was really bad at straying off, do you guys have like animals? Do you have a dog that like shoots out the door anytime the door is open? Or like a cat that just gets on the counter and eats everything in sight? Yes, I have that. So this, this sheep, if it were a naughty sheep and it would try to like stray off, sometimes the shepherd would purposefully break the sheep's legs and then carry it around their neck so that while the legs healed, the sheep was close to the shepherd in that uh, vulnerable and painful phase of the healing. And then when the legs were healed, it knew that the shepherd uh, would keep it safe and would help it through that healing time. And it formed a bond between the sheep and the shepherd and the sheep would stay. So um, those were some of the jobs of shepherds in Israel. And so if we look in Ezekiel 34, it's referring to the Lord, our shepherd. It says, for thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and I will seek them out as a shepherd. He refers to himself as shepherd, as a shepherd seeks out his own flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered. So I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on the day of clouds and thick darkness. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. I want you to see all of the actions that God himself says he will take as a metaphor using the shepherd and the sheep to God and us, God and his people so if you're asking yourself, where is God? Like, why? What is, what is God even doing? He's so far away. This is the heart of God. These are all the actions that he takes for you. We see this also with David in Psalm 23. If you're not familiar with Psalm 23, write it down. Go look at it. Um, David himself was a shepherd, and so he knows the heart. He knows the role. He knows the task of a shepherd, and he writes, the Lord is my shepherd, and he continues to write down the ways that the Lord shepherds. So let's go to Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. This is the story found in uh, Judges, Judges chapter 6 with Gideon. So it's Gideon, the Midianites, and the Amalekites. And um, go read this. Like, like I said, each of these could be their own sermon. But we're just doing kind of like an intro to the names of God here. But in Judges 6, so the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon and says, I am with you, O mighty man of valor. Well, the context for what's happening in uh, his life is that the Midianites and the Amalekites were oppressing the people coming in, taking what belonged to them, keeping them oppressed. It's, it's such an interesting story to read. Um, and in the midst of this, 
uh, the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon and, and calls him out and says, you are strong, I am with you. And it doesn't look like it all adds up in the natural, but eventually after testing that, Gideon sees this is the angel of the Lord, this is the Lord who has spoken to me. And um, it's a really, really powerful story. I really, it's hard to kind of tell all the details right now. But the main point of this is that the oppression from the Midianites and the Amalekites plus the consequences of their own sin of the Israelites, that equaled the chaos that they found themselves in, surrounded by. So yes, some of it was out of their control, but some of it was the consequences of their own actions. And so Jehovah Shalom is the peace that breaks the chaos. Because as you know, choices have consequences. And if you find yourself in a chaotic consequence or whether it's in your control or not in your control, Jehovah Shalom is the peace that can break the chaos and be the peace inside of your soul. So Jehovah Nisi, the Lord my banner. In ancient line, and it would be a remind the people who are fighting, hey, this is what we're doing and this is who we're fighting for. And so it was a visual reminder and a, and a, a focal point. So modern day, think of what banners do. Banners, they announce business, they celebrate holidays, they state who or what we align ourselves with. And they're, you know, they're visual cues, visual reminders. And um, sometimes there is physical battle between nations, between lands. We know that's happening, not in our nation right now, but across the world. Um, but every one of us find ourselves in a spiritual battle basically every day. And what I mean by that is found in Ephesians 6. It says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And this word for wrestle, this is like close combat. Like think about sparring on a mat. Think about like wrestling or doing some type of like martial arts. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Is it visible in your life to others that you align with God? Jehovah Nisi, your banner, the name of the Lord that goes before you and gives you the victory, do you align with him and is it visible to others in your life? Jehovah Tzidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. This word tzedek is the root word for tzidkenu, meaning to be straight. Um, last week, Jim brought some information about um, like the, the chaos versus the order. Like God is the one who comes in and brings order out of the chaos. This is kind of the idea that you can think of like to be straight or to straighten up. It's like, you know, we did this stage extension here quite a while ago and they needed to measure and be sure everything was straight in it in order so like the band's not like wonky, you know, when they're worshiping and everything. So there is something about bringing order out of chaos. This is what the Lord does. So this is kind of the idea for the word for righteousness. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake, Psalm 23. So these paths of righteousness, again, the shepherd would go ahead and find the most straight and direct path, the most well-cleared path. So this idea of righteousness being like a straight and clear path. Uh, Proverbs 11 says, the righteousness of the blameless keeps his way straight, but the wicked falls by his own wickedness. This is choice and consequence. So 
the question is, like, where does righteousness come from? Like, how do I keep my way straight? What do I do? There are plenty of religions that can give you a list of to do and not to do to um, be in right standing with their God. But um, let's look at where does righteousness come from. And be found in him, Philippians 3, and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own. Like, I come up short every time. I I don't have it. I don't naturally um, own that and possess that. That comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. We receive righteousness from God. We don't have it naturally on our own. So through relationship with God, through Jesus, it is a gift that we receive. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God, 2 Corinthians 5. So Jehovah Tzidkenu is our God who makes his righteousness known to us. Our job is just to simply receive. What a beautiful free gift. So come back in a few weeks to hear more from 2 Corinthians, the, the uh, reference that I just used, because Jim's going to be di- diving in like word by, uh, line by line on 2 Corinthians. Jehovah Mekadesh. I know it doesn't look like that, but that's how it says to pronounce it. So the Lord who sanctifies you. Now, the Lord our righteousness and the Lord who sanctifies you, you can also go back and watch some of the doctrine series because Jim kind of dove into that like biblically, what is sound, biblically, what do we believe here at City Church, biblically, what does it say about righteousness and sanctification, you can dive in more there. But to sanctify is to set apart or to make holy. So uh, in First Thessalonians, Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica and says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be set apart blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, there's that wholeness that's there of your body, your mind and emotions, your soul and your spirit. All of those can be sanctified completely. So completely means all parts of you, and it can be instantaneous and it can be progressive. So if the Lord saves you and sets you apart and sets you on the right path, then it is your responsibility to walk that out and to live that out. And so it can be instantaneous and progressive. But how? First Corinthians, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Jehovah Mekadesh, Mekadesh is the one who sanctifies you. Let's look at Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Write this one down too if you want to go back and read. I'm not going to jump into it a lot, but in Genesis chapter 2, Mount Moriah with Abraham, um, when going back to the story of Abraham and Sarah and then the maidservant Hagar, years later God has fulfilled his promise to Abraham. He has given him a son and the Lord asks him, Will you sacrifice your son? Will you give him back to me? And so they prepare, they go, and Abraham is obedient to the Lord. He is following what the Lord has told him, and he, he turns to the people who have come with him up the mountain. He says, we'll be back. So he speaks in faith, like, we'll be back. Um, but the idea was that he's going up on the mountain with his son, and then the Lord provided for him a ram in the thicket, And it says, Genesis chapter 2, so Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide because he didn't have all of the answers when God asked him to do this task. He knew the voice of the Lord. 
he knew what God was calling him to do, and it didn't add up in his carnal mind, but his spirit trusted the Lord. And through his actions and through his obedience, the Lord provided. And as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. I want us to look right here that he declares that the name of that place, the Lord will provide. And I think that it's really powerful, the words that we speak and what we say. And I want to ask you, like, what are you saying about your home? Like moms in here, what are you saying about your home? What are you saying about your place of work? It's really, it, it can be really powerful. I think that's amazing that um, still to this day it's called that. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Again, we don't do anything to be righteous, but it is being in, in right, straight alignment with God that we hear his voice, that we spiritually discern, and that we can act on that. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Jehovah Shema, the Lord is there. This is in Ezekiel 48. I don't have a lot of information to bring you on that. I just wanted to name it, and we'll go on to Jehovah Saboah, the Lord of hosts. This is mentioned over 285 times, is the Lord of hosts. So think about, again, that zoom in the spirit back to Revelation. You see these spiritual beings, these hosts of the heavens that are operating. We know that there is an unseen realm, and he is the Lord of the hosts. It translates hosts or armies. So this declares, this name declares sovereignty, that he has sovereignty over all armies, both spiritual and physical. He has sway over all creation, seen and unseen. And someone had asked this last week, like, if this is the case, like, why don't we always see, like, God's victory and, like, healing and all this stuff? And then someone else pointed out, this is in our small group in prayer, someone else pointed out, like, like, God has all power, and he sent Jesus, and the picture is that Jesus stands at the door and knocks. It's like there's this respect for you that God has of, hey, this is who I am. This is how you can know me, but you're not a robot, and I don't have the remote control. Like, I have respect for your free will, so he sends Jesus to stand at the door and knock, and I'm hoping that maybe you can, in hindsight, look back on your life and recognize that was the Lord knocking on the door of my heart. That was him knocking at the door of my life, knocking at the door of my mind, whatever it would be, of my spirit. So he has sway over all creation, seen and unseen. Psalm 24, 9 through 10 um, says, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts, the Lord that holds sway over all seen and unseen. He is the King of glory. Selah, that word Selah means stop and think about it. Like, let it sink in. There is this Lord God that holds sway over all. And I realized when I was copying and pasting this, I used the King James Version. And we usually teach from the ESV. There's no reason not to use the King James, but... Um, I didn't even catch it until this morning because it was so, like, that was my childhood. So there's some King James for you. Again, in Psalm 80, turn again, O Lord God of hosts. In Psalms, crying out to God, know the God that you're, that you're crying out to. O Lord God of hosts, cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. Our salvation is in the God who holds the sway over all. Um, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals. God calls himself healer. He says, if he's speaking in Exodus 15 to the Israelites, 
They, he has delivered them after the ten plagues from the Egyptians, delivered them out. And he's saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians for I and the Lord, your healer. And maybe you're like, well, Carmen, look, it says if you do these things. Yes, but listen to what it starts with. If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord. Remember, your spirit has to discern who God is and what he is saying. And when you come to that realization and you know that's who you're, who you're dealing with and who you're speaking to, then the doing, you can't choose to do anything else. Your spirit so compels you to do the things that God is calling you to do. If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, then he, he gives the promise to the Israelites, I won't put any of these plagues on you because I am the Lord who heals you. So I want to take a minute. We're about to wrap up. This is the end. But I want to tell you personally about the Lord healing in situations that I have seen. So um, my, our son, Zoe, um, you've, if you've been around, you know his story. And you know he was born on his deathbed, blind and brain dead. And um, it was two weeks of critical condition. And then we planned a funeral and took him off life support. And he opened his eyes and took a breath when we took him off life support. And it was, it was such a, an emotional situation that I couldn't, I couldn't watch when they removed life support. So I turned towards Jim and I said, tell me when it's done. And so they took life support out, opened his eyes and took a breath. Um, just 24 hours earlier, I was trying to hold him, and his tubes got kind of like jumbled up, and he really was, really was suffering in that, so just 24 hours later, or earlier. So we watched God heal our son through reattaching both retinas simultaneously, 90% overnight, and over the next four months to 100%. If that freaks you out, it should, because that's not natural. That's supernatural, okay? Um, he had hydrocephalus, if you're familiar with that. Too much fluid in the head, and his ventricles were closed. Um, they could not operate because his platelet count was too low. He would have bled to death on the operating table. The surgeon said there's no surgeon that I could refer you to that would operate on a patient this sick. So he couldn't have a shunt in, which is what they would normally do for hydrocephalus. So... He proceeded to explain to us, this will happen, this will happen, this will happen, there'll be end of life. And that's really hard to hear when it's your child laying there in the bed. Um, God healed him. We went in just from one day to the next. His ventricles had opened up, fluid left his head, and his head plates grew back together. With, without surgery and um, without explanation. This is, those are just two examples of complete miracles that are detailed out that it would just take forever to tell you um, that the Lord healed. And he's 13 years old now. And, <laughs> and runs around here talking about Star Wars. You guys know him, Zoe. Zoe means life as God intended. Um, so we, we, saw, we saw those miracles and so many more. And um, there, are, there are stories that people have in this room of God healing them, healing their body. And I'm bursting to tell you, but it's not my place because I don't want to steal their, um, 
their testimony, but we're going to hopefully let them tell that if they're comfortable. Um, and then my sister Nancy, she, um, about 11 and a half years ago, got a diagnosis of a um, blood, blood cancer, I believe it is, and um, went through a journey of learning with her mind, how do I battle this? Learning with her body, how do I battle this? Praying with her spirit, battling it in, in the spiritual. And she went through seasons of being completely healed from an incurable cancer. Her doctors were dumbfounded, like, how are you here before us today? Like, how are you healed from this blood cancer? No cancer in her body. And she would live her life and raise her kids and, and be with her family. And then it would cycle back around and the cancer would come back. And the question would be, wait, God healed her in her body. Like, why is this a struggle again? And again, she would seek out with wisdom, like, what is this? What am I dealing with? Like, how do I battle this? And she went through seasons of being healed. And it was just miraculous. And it was amazing what God was doing in her life. And um, she went to be with the Lord uh, last summer. She, uh, she passed away. And, and again, the question is why? Like, why so young? Why, while still raising kids, why did, why did her body give way? And um, so what happens when the body is not healed? Because so many times it's like, well, if you had faith, then this person would be healed. They'd get up and run out. Well, what happens when the body is not healed? He also heals the mind and the spirit. And that's about all that I could come up with to kind of like give to you today because it is a very sensitive spot. But Psalm 23, verse 3 says, He restores my soul. Psalm 147, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And this is so real. If you've ever seen someone in trauma with like a really bad injury, and the, the amount of time it takes to unwrap the wound, cleanse it, heal it back up. You know it's painful for that person, but you're like, if you can just make it one more day, it's going to be better tomorrow. And then those days add up to, to weeks and months, and he heals and binds up the broken wounds. The bottom line is that we have the right to ask the one who is the healer. And this is what we went through when we were praying for Zoe to be healed. It's like we were praying specifically, but we submitted our hearts to the method that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane is, he prayed specifically, let this cup be taken from me, but not my will, but what your will be done. And that is a very difficult place to cram your heart down into when you just so desperately want them to be healed. So the bottom line is that we have the right to ask the one who heals body, mind, and spirit. So I want to take a minute and testify, I promise I'm ending, um, a year ago, I stood here and I preached for Mother's Day. And approximately two weeks later, we were headed down to Universal Studios with the kids. And the kids were in the car. And I had to run back into the house for something. So I run in and I grab whatever it was I had to grab. And my phone rings. And it's a phone call that I didn't want to hear. But through a yearly physical routine, they caught something and they need me to come back in for further testing. So... I'm in the house. Jim comes in and is like, what's taking so long? I hang up. I'm like, this was, you know, the hospital. I need to go back in for testing. It'll be after vacation. So that's how we began our vacation. From there, 
we went out the door and we were in a temporary rental house that had about like from the front porch to the end of the yard. It was like um, two acres or so. I don't know. But this giant bird just flies away and it's really like dramatic because its wings are like super, it's like flap, flap, like you can hear it. And in its clutches is this squirrel that's like flailing for its life and it's like, and we just walk out and we see that. I was like, huh, that's like a picture of how I feel in my emotions right now. It's like, I don't want this. And that's just how it feels when you get news that you don't want to hear. It was just the strangest thing. It was really funny, really comical in that moment. So we went through like the whole Universal Studios trip, came back. Um, I received a diagnosis of cancer. And I want to take a minute and just thank doctors and nurses who answer the call to the office of doctors and nurses because I had an amazing team of um, doctors that helped me understand what was happening, know what the steps forward were, and then they took really good care of me. So um, I was, it was like a two-hour meeting with my doctor that was like, this is what you have, and this is choice one, choice two, choice three, choice four laid out, you know, they, they did their due diligence of training their mind while in medical school and using their skills, and I just am so thankful. So I chose the path of surgery, and um, so went into surgery, and here's the crazy season I was referring to earlier. I needed a major surgery. Zoe also needed surgery on both of his knees. He needed surgery in Atlanta. I needed surgery in Savannah. We had just moved into a temporary rental house, and uh, we were waiting to get into our permanent house. And so went through surgery. Um, after two weeks of surgery, uh, contracted COVID. Jim got COVID really bad and, and pneumonia. And there was one night that we were laying in bed and, and I could not physically get up and use my, my arms. I was recovering and I couldn't really do anything to care for him, but he was really, really bad that he was unresponsive and hallucinating. I don't, I don't know if you can, if you've been there, if you understand, like, he was unresponsive, but also, like, kind of combative and hallucinating. I was laying there for personally people that were not successful who went to the hospital. I don't mean to strike a chord if you have, like, a certain stance on what COVID was and all that, but we had agreed we would not go to the hospital. We would just be at home taking care of ourselves, and I could not get him to comprehend. I need to call the ambulance. Like, I need you to go to the hospital. And I didn't want to disregard what his wishes were. Um, and I was starting these, like, racing thoughts, and I couldn't finish them. And I would think, I need to call JD. If you don't.